This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. All right, everyone. I had such a delight with my conversation with Helen Appleby. And before I get into a little bit about her, I just want to say she is doing such incredible work, particularly with women leadership. So whether you identify as a female or not, or you're an ally, I think this is a conversation that everyone is going to want to listen to. She talks about where we as women disproportionately are challenged. And some of the things that we struggle with, she talks about some incredible facts about how men interrupt women, but also how women interrupt women and how we can get away from this mean girls culture to more of a supportive culture. And so just a little bit about Helen. She is a British New York based women's leadership expert. She has helped hundreds of women step into their power and write their own rules for success while also helping hundreds of men understand how to best support those women rather than fix those women. Um, She's just got an incredible background working for really large billion dollar organizations and is now just helping people all over the place. And we talk a lot about what she calls her leaky language. So you want to listen to that because I think this is universal. Many of us use this leaky language that minimizes our power and keeps us small. So make sure you pay attention and listen for that. And I love how she talks about that. She found that in her career that she found that she was more interested in growing people than growing businesses or brands and how that helped shape her. We talk a lot about mentorship of how you can be an effective mentor, but also how you seek out mentorship and just how we grow through relationships with other people. Just such rich nuggets and just such a delight in this conversation. I think you're going to get a ton out of it. I would love if you would share a little bit about your story of what brought you on this journey and why you felt compelled to write the book on written rules. I'm currently an executive coach and a women's leadership trainer. And I got here through a long and international career running businesses in corporate life, in pharmaceuticals, and ended up running a billion dollar business. And on that journey, Rosie, I realized that I liked growing people more than I liked growing brands or businesses and left and became that began, you know, that actually that conversation I actually had when I had a coach. And it was kind of like, once I said that out loud, the genie was out in the bottle. And that began a five-year process to transition to being a coach. Once I was a coach, my experience was I was coaching, I coached very senior leaders, and those are a mixture of men and women, and women on their leadership journey. And I found when I was working with women, a lot of the things that I was coaching them on and teaching them were the things that I had struggled with as well on my journey. And that there was a a big sense in me that on that journey, I'd been on all the courses that the two very big companies had sent me on. I was on all the high potential courses. You heard, right? I had the coach, I had all the support, but they didn't really teach me what I really needed to know to navigate as a woman. And so I thought, I'm going to write it down because not everyone can afford to work one-on-one with me. And like, I want to change corporate life. I want it to be better it didn't have to be as hard as it was for me. I want it to be better for the women that are coming behind us now. And I want it to be better for all of our daughters. So I'm going to write this down. And then ultimately, I then turned it into a course and a podcast and, and 
probably my life's work, Rosie. <laughs> I'm very, very passionate about this stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love the passion. And I think when you've personally, from my experience, when you've personally been through something, you get it at a different level and you have passion around it at a different level. Whatever it has been, it's like, I want this to be better for our kids, for our daughters, et cetera. So can you talk about what are some of the things that whoever's listening, we need to understand that women disproportionately struggle with. And we like to think that we've come a long way as a society, but I will tell you as a female and yourself and all of the women leaders I coach, regardless of industry, there is still a bunch of BS that wouldn't happen if you were not a female. So can you share what some of those are that we need to be aware of? Oh, gosh. That's a, <laughs> the laundry that's list, question, right? <laughs> Goodness, where shall I start? Oh. Um, so what I would say that is if you're listening to this and you're an ally, I, I want you to please understand that the rules that apply to you as a cis white man are not the same rules that apply to women, right? Men and women are judged differently. And they're often heard differently and promoted differently. And it's unconscious, right? So heard differently, I'll give you an example. We are interrupted much more. So men interrupt twice as much as women do. And when they interrupt, study shows, three quarters of the time they interrupt women. So really bringing awareness to, am I listening? right? Am I listening to understand or am I listening to interrupt? And are the other people in the room interrupting too? Or are we listening? So let her finish is a really good phrase that you might try on and see if you need that in the next time you run a meeting. And the insidious thing, Rosie, is it's not just men that interrupt women more. So men do and you look at women, so we interrupt half as much and we interrupt other women more than we interrupt men. Okay, shut the front door. You have to say that again. Men interrupt twice as much as women. And when they interrupt, three quarters of the time, they interrupt women. And the people who identify as women, we do it too. We don't interrupt as much, but when we interrupt, we interrupt other women more than we interrupt men. Isn't that fascinating? It's like so, the it's like the mean girls Regina George thing as opposed to <laughs> supporting one another and lifting one another up, right? Right. Right. And so let her finish or, you know, claiming credit. Again, are you listening? I think many women have had the experience of saying something in a meeting and it being glossed over. And then Brian saying it again. 15 minutes later, and everyone's like, wow, that's an amazing idea. And you're sat there and you're thinking, I just said that. God, that has happened more times than I can even, even count. Well, and you know what's even, I don't even know if it's sadder about that, but I think back of examples over my life. And again, I think about women that I know and work with and love and support and coach. And so story after story after story, um, if you do I'm not even going to say raise your voice like yelling. If you are assertive and you are passionate and say, no, I want to be heard or let me finish my idea or standing up for yourself, 
there is a large tendency to get labeled as emotional or labeled as difficult or be labeled as a bitch, but yet the male counterpart doesn't. And it's like, oh, great idea, strong, bold, whatever. And I will say, now have to honor privilege. I'm a white woman. Every woman of color has it even worse. Mm -hmm. It's worse. Even worse. Yes, it's worse on everything, on everything. So I said at the beginning, my answer to your answer to your question was, so I think there's differences in the way we're heard. And I have a cartoon in the book, which has a boardroom and it's with one woman and five men in it. And the, the caption is from Punch magazine. The caption is, that's an excellent suggestion, Miss Triggs. Perhaps one of the men here would like to make it. <laughs> so that's how we're heard, right? How we're judged, you just moved on to there, right? How we are judged. I often say to allies, as you're in a talent review or as you're describing a woman in the organization, and particularly if you're describing her as ambitious, right? That's the one I used to get, ambitious, and it was never a compliment, or difficult, or arrogant, or you know, whatever the adjective might be. Would you say that if Helen's name was Harry? Are you judging women in the same way that you're judging men? Or are you holding them to different standards? So again, that question, would you say the same if this was a man that we were discussing? There's an example in the book that I use, which is research out of Stanford, where they showed a class, half the class, a resume of someone called Heidi, Heidi Rosen. Right? And Heidi Rosen was, is a real person. She works in venture capital. Resume. Exact resume. Half the class saw it as Heidi Rosen. The other half of the class saw it as Howard Rosen. That was the only change. Then they were asked to rate how competent was the person. And Heidi and Howard scored the same. They were asked to rate how likable they were and how much people would like to work for them. And Heidi was rated significantly lower than Howard. And it was one word change. So unconsciously, we are judging women differently and holding them to different standards. And then finally, the promotion one, again, it's that same question. Would this be the same if it was a man? Because what the research shows is that when it comes to promotion, imagine a role needs ABCD, right, to get done. What can happen, what the research shows is if we're evaluating a man, a man will be judged who's done ABC, right? He'll be judged like he's done ABC. He crushed it. He's awesome. Of course he can do D. And that what's the principle underneath that is men are promoted based on their potential. And you know what potential means? They haven't done it yet. <laughs> Women are promoted based on our track record. So they would say, you know, David can do this because he can do ABC and he'll be able to do D. Helen, done ABC, hasn't done D yet. Maybe she's not ready. So it's those three areas I really want our allies and all of us to be conscious of, right? We're heard different, we're judged different, and we're promoted differently. And, you know, the case for diverse teams, like we shouldn't be in 2023 and still making the case for diverse teams, right? There is clear evidence to show that having diverse thinking, more women, but diverse thinking in general on teams makes them make better decisions. It's 
baffling to me that we're still relitigating that in 2023. One of the things that I think about as you share this is even just going back to the promotion or you know thinking about jobs. I mean, we're still having this conversation about pick the term, turnover tsunami, great resignation, and everything you read says the labor market's only going to get tighter. Like this is a new normal. So if we start thinking about, oh, that we're going to unconsciously or consciously judge because someone doesn't have this experience, if people are disproportionately not being given those opportunities, how the heck do you ever expect them to learn and grow? So it's, it's just fascinating to me that we're still sitting here. Yeah. And then you add in anything else. You add in somebody's part of the LGBTQ community. You add in that they're a person of color and you just start adding in all of the ways that we're not hearing other people that were passing judgment. So I know you have a, you have a section in your book for people who are allies or who want to help with this, but not fix. And you've given some examples, but can you give some more of like, what are some things that we should be paying attention to? And I would even say, you know, if you identify as female yourself, like what are some of those things? Cause I do these little like Rosie in my pocket, like short segments and some of the ones that have been resonating and I will say more for women, even so than men, but they've been more universal have been removing just from our vocabulary. Well, I'm just checking or I'm, or I'm sorry for bugging you. It's like, as women, I feel like we disproportionately apologize for ourselves or try to make ourselves smaller rather than just making a request, because guess what? Someone's going to label us as an overly ambitious bitch. Just is one word. So I, yes, I talk about this a lot. And I call words like just and sorry, leaky language. They're minimizers, right? They leak our power. And I think having an awareness of how we speak as women and thinking about taking those words out. So I say to women in my course, you are no longer allowed to say just or sorry. Right. Backspace, 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 backspace. I am on your shoulder watching you. (laughs) You're only allowed to apologize if you actually did something wrong. If you Google Pantene, sorry, the commercial, there's a great Pantene commercial from a few years ago, which shows we get bumped into by someone and we apologize. So standing in your power and being able to ask for something and take up space helps us show up with more impact, stand in our power and, you know, helps us navigate and succeed. So no longer using leaky language. And then the other one where I think we can, you know, as women, we can help ourselves and which I I talk about a lot is making our work visible. Often women are trained from when we're very young to be good girls. There's a lot of good girl conditioning in us. And if you think about our journeys through school, what helps us succeed in school is things like sitting down, staying in our seats, not talking, being quiet, coloring in the lines, getting good grades. Those are the rules of school. And if you do those things, your work will be noticed. And where I think it goes wrong is that women don't realize that the rules that help to succeed in school are not the rules that will always help us succeed at work. So that attitude of if I just do good work, it will be noticed, doesn't work. So the rule that we talk about and that I talk about in the book is think about this. 
There is visible work and invisible work, and we only get judged on our visible work. So if I ask you as a woman to think about what is your invisible work? Usually when I say that in a room full of women, there is a collective groan and they say they have no idea what I do. They have no idea of the value I add, the work that I do and the results that I deliver. And I will say to them, but what you don't realize is that if they have no idea, you're not getting credit for it. So either no one is and it's entirely invisible or even worse, someone else is getting credit for your work. So it is now your job to make that visible. And you don't have to make it visible to everyone, right? But who will be in the room or consulted when your next role comes up, your next move or your next promotion? Make that list. And it's not just your boss and HR. (laughs) I would push you to say, I think that list is between six and 10 people long, right? It's your boss. It's potentially your boss's boss. It might be your next boss or their boss or your peers or the boss of the person in HR. So who else is on that list? And do they know the work that you do, the value that you add and the results that you deliver? And if not, you have to let them know. Right? And I go into it in the book in more detail, but you know, how can you send an update, have a dashboard, book time with them, ask for advice, give them an update and ask for advice, make it visible. And it's not just your boss's job to do it either. And even if they do do it, which hopefully if they're a good boss, they are, you need to set them up for success and tell them what they need to communicate. I love your idea of asking, well, not even asking for advice if you don't need it, but it could just be, hey, what are your thoughts? Is there anything else I'm missing? And opening up for dialogue and curiosity and that we're open to learn. And I've even learned throughout my career when I've reported to males and asking the question of, well, this is what I'm doing and what I'm thinking about, but is there anything I'm missing? And a lot of times the way that I have positioned it, I notice they start thinking and going, hmm, I never thought about that way or whatever. And so like, and so you're adding value by actually, again, opening up a human dialogue. It doesn't matter about gender at that moment. It's a human dialogue and what's best for the organization and recognizing, oh, this person thinks a certain way and there's value in that. And I think asking for advice, honestly, if you come to it with, I don't want, you know, the last thing I want to do is to give people work to do asking for advice that they don't need. But like you said, you know, if that's a more senior person who sits in a slightly different part of the organization, my suspicion is they could give thoughts, perspective, value. And so asking for their advice is something that you can do authentically. And I think I hear you though, Rosie, right? The kind of like, now you need to self-promote. That was what I heard on my journey. You know, there's invisible work. Now I have to do self-promotion. And that felt really icky. And the switch for me was the switch to not thinking about it as self-promotion, but thinking about it as education. So do they know what I'm up to in the world? Do they know the value? No, they don't. Can I teach them? Can I give them an update, ask for advice and explain what's happening and what we're doing? oh, yes, I can do that. I can teach. I can educate them. And then it became not inauthentic and icky. I love that. The thing about educating them. And I I think in the past, I've made a shift like that too. And the other way that depending on where I've worked or how I've thought about it, but even owning my own business and doing this with clients, it's really about 
are we on the same page? Are we fostering alignment? Is it serving a common purpose? So more of like, okay, can I add value here and help them see something or help them connect the dots or help see how this connects to that? Again, it's education, but it's also, I want to be really explicit about connecting the dots in case it goes astray or whatever. What are some of the other things when we think about um, helping and being supportive and watching out for, whether it's our language or practices, not in the spirit of fixing somebody, but of, of supporting? What are some other things that we can be thinking about? I think many folks could really benefit from thinking about who are the mentors in their life and who are the sponsors in their life. Because mentors and sponsors are career accelerators. Right? Mentors I describe as kind of first level career accelerators. And what I mean by a mentor is someone who's two steps ahead of you on the journey, right? A mentor is someone who shares their journey with you. So they've gone down that path and can now help you figure out what are the pitfalls, what are the questions, so that you can do it faster. And what happens is subconsciously, as mentors, what we often do is we help people behind us who remind us of ourselves when we were young. So even me, right? The work that I do with women on their leadership journey is a journey that I've done, isn't it? So it's kind of natural. If you extend that, that principle arrives, tends to apply to everyone. But it means that senior leaders in an organization are often men and will often look for men that remind them of themselves when they were young or men that played the same sport or went to the same college. And some of that is good. But what can happen if you're further down in the organization and you don't look like them, then you don't get asked. So on my journey, I understood the power of mentors. That wasn't an unwritten rule. What I didn't know, Rosie, was who to ask or how to ask. So I think for anyone who doesn't look like the leaders above them, you have to work out, well, there is an opportunity for you to work out what are the journeys that are ahead of me in my career. For me, that was, I wanted to be really senior in marketing. I wanted to move internationally. And I was doing this as a mum who had kids and was you know, moving internationally with a family. So they were really three very clear areas that I had to look around me and say, who's two steps ahead of me on that journey? And we don't all need the CEO as a mentor. Often people that are 10 steps ahead of us on the journey don't remember what it was like to be us. But I had mentors, people that I could go and ask. And the way you ask is, Rosie, I love that you are so senior in marketing and you're great at this. I'm also in marketing. I'd like to be better at that. Can I ask for your advice on that? And then it, it, you know why I'm asking. It doesn't feel weird. And it's not me, you know, I mean, there's two ends of the spectrum. Like, Rosie, you don't know me. I'm deep in the organization, but can we have a coffee? And then you're like, what's that about? Or, you know, Rosie, you don't know me, but will you be my mentor? which is almost equally disorientating, isn't it? I've had those requests and I'm like, ah. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> easy, tiger. <laughs> One step at a time. So, you know, phrased like that, you know, 
you're great at this or you have done this. I really admire that. I would like to learn from you. Can I ask for some advice and ask you some questions? Can we have a coffee? Is much easier. That's how you ask. Having worked out what are those journeys ahead of you. And then what you do is you then talk to Rosie or whoever, ask them the questions, write down and remember what they advised you. And you say, that was amazing. Rosie, that, you've given me three things that I can just do immediately. Can I ask, I'm going to go away and do them and I'm going to talk to that person and I'm going to try this and I'm going to read that book. Can I come back in a few months time when I've done them? Can I come back and give you an update? And what are you going to say? So, of course, I would love to hear it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Because, you know, like senior leader, like Helen's so keen and enthusiastic and wants to learn. And that feels good, doesn't it? I'm be able to give back. And literally, when you're a senior leader, like that is literally part of your job. So <laughs> it feels good. And from there, you know, I can then say, Rosie, when we met three months ago, you, you suggested that I did this and I read this and I spoke to this person. Thank you. It's been amazing. I did this and this and you know, now I'm here. Any other thoughts? And then you're going to tell me and you're going to think, wow, she's so keen and eager and I'm glad I could make a difference. Right. And I'm going to go away and do that next. Like, can I come back and, and give you another update? This kind of mentoring is just so helpful for me. And then, you know, yes, of course you can. Helen. And that's how it develops because it develops into a, a relationship, a personal relationship of me learning from you and you knowing that you're helping to build. And subconsciously, people support what they help to build. It's unconscious. But just knowing that, you know, I've made a difference in Helen's career will make me more supportive of Helen. So their potential, it's a really clear career accelerator. And let's talk about sponsorship for a minute. Sponsorship is like a next level career accelerator because sponsorship is not just talking about your journey to me. It's talking about me when I'm not in the room. So imagine you and I have been having conversations about being senior in marketing and the particular thing that you do that you've been helping me with. And, you know, you've now understood what my career aspirations are. Now you're in a room that I'm not in and there's discussion about maybe opening a new office in the UK. And you say, oh, that's so interesting. If we want a marketing lead, I know what Helen's been up to. And I know she's a Brit and she's got a British passport as well. Have we considered Helen for that role? And suddenly I'm in a room that I wouldn't have been in without you. And that's because you are sponsoring me. But you have to know someone, right? To, to put someone's name forward like that, you have to know them because Rosie, at this point, is risking her political capital by endorsing me. So often bosses do that, ex-bosses do it, people that you've worked with really closely, but mentors often can do it. And I mean, you know, someone might say no, and it's not because it's just like, you know, it's not that I will be unwilling. I am so, like, I have zero capacity right now, and this, I want to do this well. Can you circle back in you know, next quarter or six months. And that's perfectly okay too. And we can't take that as a, there's something wrong. It's, I mean, people, there's only so much bandwidth. Like I get outreaches all the time and I'm like, look, I would love to help every single person on this planet. And there's just, there's a realism to it. Mentors in particular don't have to be internal, right? Sponsors, because they're in rooms that you can't get in, more typically, unless they're in an organization that you want to work in, mm -hmm. <laughs> but 
More typically, sponsors are internal, but mentors, for instance, you know, navigating an international career as a mum. I didn't necessarily need to speak to someone that worked for GSK. I could have spoken to someone that worked for a completely different company. And, you know, our mentors change. I then left corporate life and have a completely different set of mentors. So you don't have to have the same mentor forever. And I completely agree, Rosie. If they say no, then don't take it personally. Either maybe they didn't have great mentors themselves. I think the people who are the most generous mentors are people who were generously mentored (laughs) on their journey or they did and they believe in it and they're just too busy. Don't take it personally. Just go back to your list and find someone else who's two steps ahead. Well, I love that. And I think it goes back to we are not meant to do this alone. We always say the work we do, this isn't a solo journey. You're going to go further faster together. Everybody wins when we do better. And it's not this scarcity mindset. It's can we operate with this abundance mindset that there is enough work out there. I mean, there's a, there's a talent shortage that is not going anywhere anytime soon. Heaven knows there's enough work out there for people. How can we create those opportunities for meaningful work for one another and hope that it'll be reciprocated rather than, you know, somehow feeling like you have to hold yourself back, but also hold somebody else down so that you can get ahead. That's just so not humanized and so not where we need to be. And I think that loneliness on the journey, Rosie, really resonated with me as a woman, you know, navigating in an organization that was primarily men, it was really lonely. And, you know, one of the things on the courses that I run that women do really appreciate is that sense of being on a journey in a cohort with other women, like the sisterhood that community can bring of other women that are going through it too, is enormously supportive, enormously healing and helpful. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, you know, turning it around again, I think as leaders, wherever we are on our journey, even if we're relatively junior, being willing to consider that A, we're a role model for someone, and B, what are the opportunities for us to mentor? So, you know, we've talked kind of so far in this conversation about being on the receiving end of being a mentor. But a question that I ask leaders and women on the course is, who are you mentoring? If you think about the people, you know, they may not have used that word, but the people in your life whose careers you take an interest in, who do you ask about their careers? Who do you give advice to? Who do you have coffee with? If you made a list of those people, who are they? And do they all look like you? Because even if we're lower in the organization, right, there are people that are just starting. There are interns. There are people at college. There are our nephews and nieces who you know, we could share advice with and share our learnings. And can we look at that list and expand it and support people that don't just look like us who may not have the courage to ask? I love that. I love that. Yeah, because we're not going to get anywhere if we just keep picking uh, people that that look like us, sound like us, talk like us. And who are we lifting as we rise? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Amen to that. So, so kind of a segue, but from the leaky language, right? The the language that we use that diminishes us or keeps us small. One of the things that I've learned on this journey, I'm obsessed with the normalizing the messiness of being human. Oh, no matter 
how much work we've done on ourselves, no matter how many awesome mentors we've had, I know that every single one of us has these self-limiting stories that started somewhere in childhood that still creep up and hijack us that we cling to to feel safe, but they keep us small and where they keep us from stepping into our greatness, or as I like to say, they keep us from letting our sparkle shine. So what I would love for you to share, Helen, is what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself sometimes? And when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader in your life? What a great question, Rosie. I love that. (laughs) This is actually, I couldn't be more aligned with you and something we actually do on the course and I work with when I work with women and what the reason the way I describe this is we all have an inner critic to the voices in our head that talk to us and that are really mean to us and sometimes when I say that people are like an inner critic I have a whole bunch of them. I have a party going on. I'm like, oh, that's right. You've got an itty, I call it an itty bitty shitty committee (laughs) in your head. (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. Okay. And, you know, that those voices yell at us and they speak to us in a way that we would never speak to our friends, don't they? So recognizing that those are voices, a psychologist would say they are our ego, Realizing that they're there, realizing that they're never going to go away and that they are trying to keep us safe. And the re- the way they try and keep us safe is exactly as you described. They try to keep us small and stop us doing things that are new and different and scary, things that are on the edges of our comfort zone. So I will often say to women, write them down. Write down what your inner critic says to you and look at it. And really consider, is that true? And would you say that to a friend? And where does that come from in your past? So my inner critic voices say things like, you're not far enough ahead, Helen. You haven't done it. You haven't done enough yet. You didn't get a big enough book deal. Or, you know, you haven't sold enough courses. Or you haven't made enough money. There's There's an enough, enough, enough kind of achievement tone to the voices in my head. So where did that come from? They came from, often we can identify when we think about them and write them down, we can think about where did they come from in the past? And mine came from my dad. Now, it wasn't that my dad ever said anything like that. He didn't. I made it mean, right? The fact that he loved it when I achieved, I made it mean that I was more lovable because I was achieving. So I call my voices hamster. (laughs) (laughs) My inner critic is called hamster. And then what I say to women is, right, now you've identified it. Now you've given it a name. You've written it down. You've identified it. You've given it a name. Now, what is the thing that you would most like to have heard as a child? Think about that. And that is going to be the voice of your inner coach. So what I would most like to have heard as a child is Helen, you are enough and you are loved without your achievements. You are loved for you. And that's what I now say when the voices start. So the good news about the voices is they don't tell the truth. The bad news is they never go away. And I have learned and done enough personal development work now to know that when those voices start, who are you to do this? You know, who are you to be on a podcast? You didn't go to Harvard. You don't have a PhD. 
what are you doing here? To soothe and say, oh, look, here we are on the edge of my comfort zone again, doing something. I mean, they're not actually new and different, (laughs) but, but, you know, outside my comfort zone, I'm on the crunchy edge of my comfort zone and the voices are trying to keep me small. It was big actually when I was writing the book. Who am I to write the book? That kept me stuck for a number of months, just not wanting to release it in case, in case I failed. And that, so to more directly answer your question, so you can see the kind of achievement, achievement, achievement thing that that got wired into me, what that shows up on, uh, showed up as through my career and still today is this fear of failure. Like failure was not an option and just a real drive to not fail and have it look good, which is, you know, (laughs) I mean, it drives great results. It comes at some personal cost to my nervous system, but do you know what it's really, really unhelpful for? entrepreneurship (laughs) yeah or anything different right right? anything different anything new and risky right leaving corporate life and yeah starting fresh in a new career so I have honestly Rosie the money I have spent on redefining my relationship with failure is a constant well I so appreciate how you put all that because I will tell you I had that inner drive of achievement, perfection. And I coach a lot of people. I think when people have been like, however you would define successful in their career or achievement oriented, you're going to see that underpinning. And I think it's so important for people who have not done this work yet on themselves or tiptoeing around it or have hovered around it because it's uncomfortable to, to, we call it waiting in the messy middle, but it doesn't have to be that you had a household where you were yelled at if you got a B or whatever. It's the norms as a, as a child, we have this programming in our brain and we observe around us and, oh, I get accolades or I get praise when I achieve. Therefore, oh, I got to do more of that. And then it's so funny how you think as a kid that warp turns into, well, that's, I, that's the only way I have value. And, you know, the one thing why I always ask this question is this is like part of being human that we all freaking do this. But what I love about what you're doing is it's not going away. So can we catch it sooner? And I love name, you know, in coaching, they say it's your gremlin, but I love personify it, name it, because as soon as you name it, it doesn't have the hold and the power on you because you're a name. You're like, no, I know what you are. And now it's almost like you're back at a moment of choice of, and I can choose to either listen to you and let my 10 year old self make this decision in this moment, or I can go, that's my 10 year old self. You're fine. Thank you, hamster. Thank you. I- I've got this. I'm good. I love how you put that. That's so yeah. awesome. Okay. Are you ready for quick questions? Yes. Okay. First question, fill in the blank. Living authentically is? Being prepared to be vulnerable. Love it. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? (laughs) Do it for them. (laughs) Don't do it for you. Do it for them. I actually say to myself, if it shows up, sorry, this is not quick, is it? I say, shut up show up and serve. Do it for them. I love it. Shut up, show up and serve. Bam. Okay. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? (laughs) That I can't swim. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
It's all right. It's all right. What's your favorite go-to movie? Dead Poets Society. Carpe diem. Captain, my Seize captain. Seize the day. Make your life extraordinary. Yes. Love that movie. Now I have to go watch it. I haven't seen it in forever. Okay. What's your go-to mm. song? Goodness me. Um, Natasha Bedingfield. The end is yet unwritten. Mm. Or Miley Cyrus, It's the Climb. Oh, there you go. We got the motivational thing going. I like it. <laughs> what is something you can't live without? Tea. <laughs> English breakfast tea. Okay, I was going to ask what the flavor is. She's drinking it right now, folks, in case you want to know. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> Love it. What is something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? Tea? <laughs> My kids? <laughs> and honestly, Rosie, the work that I do, I absolutely love it, right? In a connected, purposeful, just energy from source kind of passion that I love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> that makes my heart happy. Okay. And what are you grateful for right now? The sisterhood of support that I have around me is truly a gift. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Helen, I want to give you one last closing question. If you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? I think, Rosie, the heart of effective leadership starts with self-awareness. And I think getting grounded in genuinely, right, not by some kind of 360, anonymous 360, having a coach, or even asking people to describe you. I think knowing what you're good at and knowing how you can grow and be even better. So, and if you notice the way I describe that, it's not what are you good at and what are you not good at? Because it's really hard for people to tell you that and it's hard to hear it. But what am I good at and how could I be even better? Getting really grounded in the reality of what it's like to work with you, what you're good at and what's next on the journey and bringing that growth mindset to your leadership. Even people knowing that you've got that growth mindset and you're open to hearing those things done repeatedly makes people a phenomenal leader. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com and, of course, hit that follow button.